Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our first episode for season two for the 90 or Nothing podcast show. Happy New Year, everyone. I know I'm a little late, but it's good to be back with everyone and back online. And I'll be happy to let you guys know that we'll definitely be bringing you guys a new episode every week for the rest of the year. So, you know, pretty keen to get on with this year and bring you all the latest and greatest news from the cutting, cow horse and camp draft scenes. I feel like this year started off with a great bang with a bit of rain being scattered around the eastern side of Australia. We're also lucky that we did get to receive that little bit and hopefully it just continues and everyone gets a fair share and we have a great year that continues to grow lots of grass so we can continue to chase lots of cows. This last week I just ducked up to Tamworth to do a bit of podcasting and I took a few horses up there and worked a few horses at different people's places and yeah, just had a really awesome week up there and yeah, there's certainly a bit of a hype developing up there as we are coming to one of the biggest highlights of the year for the camp drafting and sort of cutting cow horse industry as the Nutrien Classic sale is very fast approaching, only two weeks away. So make sure everyone gets there. Oh, I hope to see you there. We're, we're going to have our trade stall there up in the main arena, so be sure to duck on up there and Come and sit down with us and listen to a podcast, have a few drinks, watch the Camp Draft Training Online videos, we'll have them there and yeah, just come and have a yarn, hang out, we'd love to catch you with catch up with you all. Well, during my time at Tamworth, Kylie and I managed to catch up with our cinch-sponsored and Camp Draft Training Online rider, Rob Leach. Now, Rob's based just outside of Tamworth at Atunga at his facility there and we went out there and sat down with him and did a great interview with him and pretty much just talked about his background and where he's been in life and and, it, and he certainly has been all over the place all, all throughout Australia and then over to America and back and and yeah we just started to talk a bit about you know the challenges he's faced in life and in the horse industry and and the wins he's had and he's certainly renowned for the last few years having some brilliant sale topping horses at the formerly known landmark sale now known as the Nutrien Classic and uh, yeah we certainly highlighted some of that and yeah it was just awesome interview sitting down with Rob and it was a great opportunity and we really hope you guys do enjoy this interview and and we can't thank Rob enough for taking the time to sit down with us and get him on the air and and yeah we just really excited to be back for the new year guys so we hope you continue listening to our podcast and enjoy our great stories we hope you enjoy this episode of the 90 or nothing podcast show is proudly brought to you and all made possible by our great sponsors camp draft training online and cinch australia well g'day rob it's good to be out here mate thanks for jumping on our podcast and letting us out here and inviting us to your facility it's really great yeah, thanks, Baxton. Uh, we've been meaning to get you on here for a long time, and we just thought it'd be a great chance just before the sale here. Yeah, no, thanks for, for coming out. And we had a good morning this morning working a few horses. It was good. Yeah, my word, my word. And we've got Kylie here. Kylie, what's going on? Yeah, no, I've just joined Paxton and, and Rob here today. They've been out working horses, so I've just come in at the end of it. So I'm looking forward to hearing about Rob's horses that he has. They've been working them this morning, so I'm keen to... Uh, no, what what you've got? What are you got coming up for the sale this year? <clears throat> well, um, yeah, we're what are we? Two weeks away from the sale? Yep. Yeah, two and a half yeah. weeks. Yeah, so uh, I've got fourteen in the sale this year. Uh, we've got three colts, 
couple of metallic cats, uh, one two-year-old Boon Colt. Um, yeah, we've got got there some really nice colts there this year that have had some training. Um, one of them's out of Breckelman's estate. Um, he's a really neat horse. Another one belongs to Maggie Mason, a metallic. Maybe, um, what's his name? Metal as anything. Yeah. He's a he's a real corker. Steve Byrne had him and put him through the futurities. And then the Boone, he's um, out of one more Annie, so he's a half to uh, more metal. Oh, more, more metal. metal. Oh, yeah, yeah, the one that won the futurity. Yeah with Trent yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so, the one that had that accident yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. He, this one belongs to Wally and he's a really oh. really neat oh. cult right. two year old he's kind of set up ready for the for the you know to go to the next level um, and then we've got some really really nice mares we've got two con man mares uh, one out of Dance Elegance that won the classic a couple of years ago. Oh, that Cal Gibson yeah Cal that's Gibson. her yep. Yeah, um, she's really really cool I've got a one out of a remedy mare that um, belongs to Richard Finks. She's just, yeah, real straightforward and easy. Um, got a Playboy Roy two-year-old. Got a um, another one of Corbett's out of Spinner Ray, out of the Dual Ray mare by Burn Too Soon, two-year-old filly. She's right. a cracker. Yeah. So Spinner Ray is the one... Out of Romance. Out of One More Romance. Yeah, And yeah. the One More Romance has been the blood that's been the top yeah. seller. Yep. The last two yep. years. So this yeah. is this is a granddaughter out of romance, yeah. out of the dual ray mare. The same this is a half sister to your cult, Ben's yep. cult. Yeah. 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 Um we also got um I've got a hard hat Henry filly that belongs to Matt and Fiona Cabin that's out of their good mare Joni's Playgirl, three year old. Got a I think it's a five year old smooth blue cat that's out of a pretty sure it's a half or a three-quarter sister to Phalaris. Yeah. And it's had some training, went through the futurities with, with um, Hodgie. Uh, we got a... I've got a really, really nice one more Playboy filly that's out of an Acres mare that's out of one of Conray's sisters. Right. Um, and I've had her the whole time through the program. Is that um, nearly a full sister to that one we like last year, Paxson? Yeah, I think the one... Yeah. She went for about 30-odd grand. She was a really nice filly too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one that um, Ray Hawke Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, same mare line. Yeah. Different mother, yeah. That was a really nice horse last year too, yeah. And then I've got a metallic cat filly, four-year-old, belongs to Lloyd Nelson, um, that is out of a mare, imported Pepto Burnsville mare called Danny Pepto Girl. Mm -hmm. And she is... Uh, really, really cool. Really cool. So that um, Dady Pepto girl, is that yeah. that same? Duplicity. Yeah, yeah the, the one that won the Futurity. Duplicity. Um, yeah. And the Pimped Up Cat, is that the yeah. same? Pimped yep. Yep. Yeah, Pimped Up, yep. He won the non-pro derby, I think. Yep. He was a cat also. Um, and then, I, yeah, I think another sibling sold for big money. Um, yep. She's really physical. Got a, ch- a couple of Chisholms. Got a Chisholm, um, long to Normie Stag, out of Ronnie's Rosette. And we've got uh, another Chisholm mare that, you know, has been through the Futurity program uh, out of um, Gifted Acres that Leachy was second on at the Futurity. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got some really cool ones. I don't. I hope I haven't left any out. Um, we'll pop a little yeah. thing with our podcast anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Yeah. Oh, I, got, I forgot my own. I've oh, got my, you got your I've own. Got, I forgot my own. Yeah, well, I've got, a, I've got okay. well, I've got a little mare here um, by Pink Panther that yeah. is uh, out of Pumpkin, my good imported mare, Pepin Catalina. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's like just 
like my favorite all-time horse the best horse i've ever rode i reckon yeah the, yeah. the mother you know the pa- panther filly's good she's four she just missed the futurity like i didn't kind of have enough time to train her at the time i was really busy when we moved and yeah. um so she got kind of put to the side so she's you know she's growing up now and um yeah she's she's just probably she's not real big so i thought i'd sell her and she'd make a great girl's horse or you know yeah. you know she's pretty competitive can chase one though like she yeah. surprised me yeah she's really really good yeah runs just like her mother yeah. so yeah so it'll be fun it's going to yeah. be a fun sale because i've got really. i've got a good string um and little like you know you don't have to work them very hard you know because they're all going pretty good just keep them fit um and i've got two really really good girls working for me so um <clears throat> ella and emily so they're they're you know you got to have good help yeah. And I think Red Foo's coming back during the sale. She's done it with me for a few years. So cool. yeah. she knows how to fill up the buckets and make yeah. sure everything's ready ready to roll. And yeah. and um, and good. it's good having good people around you to deal with clients as well. So yeah. the, the girls are, you know, they're pretty good to talk to. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So explain to us a little bit the program involved leading up to Nutrient. How long ago did you get these horses? You know, did they come different times? Have you had them, you know? Yeah, we... Um, we usually get them in oh, about 10 weeks before the sale. I like to get them early, like, you know, at least, you know, around that, having that 10-week time period because you can get them fit, get to know them, you know. If there's any holes in there, you can kind of fill the holes in or whatever, you know. Um, if they're not good enough now, I just probably knock them back. Like, if I ride them for, for three or four weeks and I don't want to put my name on them, I'll, I'll kind of say. If I if I yeah. feel like they're not improving, I'll call the client, client and say, look, you know, I really don't want to. I can't. It's, I'm going to find it hard to 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 sell this to somebody and put my name on it. So I'll just talk to them and try and talk them out of putting it in the sale, or or let them send it to somebody else. Yeah. Um. So I think it's important that you guarantee your product. Like, if someone comes up to me and asks me, I'm going to tell them. And I have sold some mediocre horses through the sale before over the years for clients that, and for some really good clients that I have. Um, you know they've had horses that they wanted to move on and have you and you've got to kind of you've got to ride them you really do have to take care of your your clients and um but you know and i tell them straight up i say look if somebody asks me what i think of this horse i'm going to tell them you know if i don't if i don't like the horse i'll i'll tell them yeah so you're not really worried about offending two people people too much you got to tell them the truth because i think yeah. a lot of people can be a little worried that oh is the trainer just saying that they're going yeah. all right just to keep my money and yeah. keep it in training but if just... i if i say it's going all right it's going all right usually because yeah. yeah. i'm i'm a bit of, i'm fairly fairly critical like yeah. i'm I, I i think i'm like that with everything too you know like i'm always i'm trying to get better you know and and have you know improve everywhere so you know I'm, you yeah you don't want to be looking at them through rose-coloured glasses. Yeah. You know, you want to be realistic and and cull heavily and make sure that you, you that you're riding the best horses that you can. Yeah. You know, Definitely. horsepower horsepower is everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can't. You know, someone told me once you can you can paint a turd gold, but it's still going to stink. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Fair enough. You know, so. Yeah. So um, yeah, you just gotta. You know, so that's what you're, you're probably the last. Three years, you have been top price, and you had some other 
horses that have been top price stallions and all the rest. So is that what you're putting down to your success is one, your program, but two, the fact that you sort of really do just take sort of the top sort of line of well, horses through? No, well, a little bit of it's been just um, fortunate. You know, we, we were fortunate to, fortunate to get some some high-caliber horses to ride. Yeah. And I had a bit of a program, um, you know, just through the experiences that I've had. You know, we were in America for a long time and, and the rain cow horse um, background that I had. And then I, I worked for Roger for a while. And and um, and we did sales and stuff during that period. Like when I was in California with the cow horses, we did, did the sales there. And uh, going back to when we first got to California, I worked for these Twistleman family and they had a production sale, just a ranch horse sale. And so I kind of learned a lot about um, presenting a horse and getting a horse ready for a sale. Yeah. I never really intended it to be like the core of my business though. Yeah. Like I wanted to be competitive and go and show and be a cutting horse trainer and, you know, be a bit of an all-rounder. I always like Ian Francis is just like, like I just, you know, he's so versatile. He can win a reigning futurity, win a cutting futurity, win a stockman's challenge. And that was what I've always wanted to do is just yeah. be well-respected um, in all genres. Yeah. And so when we moved back from the States, we didn't really have a place. Lee, we had a heap of stuff kind of go pear-shaped for us. Lee's dad, <clears throat> he, he passed away. He was in a plane crash and we were going to do a, a deal with him at Warwicky at a feedlot there and I was going to hang my shingle out and everything and then that fell through and then I ended up at SDM working for Susan Marchant and then... Um, while we were there, <clears throat> while we were there, she had some horses to sell. So I'd go through and pick out, you know, Landmark was in its early stages. And, well, it had been going a few years, five, six years, I guess. And um, so what I did, I picked out two really nice horses because I wanted to be kind of recognised and she kind of wanted to get her horses out there and, and, be, and get her horses recognised as well. So I picked yeah. out two of the best horses that she had for that year and we put them in the Landmark sale although they were going the best at the time and so i showed up down there and and um so this is your first this is my first landmark and i think well actually i don't think these were the best ones the first time it was just a horse sale to me the first time and we had two geldings i think they were both out of bomberdock mares by one was by a remnant horse and one was by dually pep i think so what sort of years this what year this would have been oh, oh 2012 maybe okay so that was about your first 2013 maybe yeah 2013 um so then yeah and i had these two little rough geldings um we had them looking good and everything but they weren't very well bred by any means and but i rode them and rode them and rode them and had them just really really zinging around for two-year-olds you know and i showed up down there had a cut and saddle and yeah. You know, they split reins and Very yeah, had my American hat. Yeah, yeah. I looked like yeah, like proper, just straight off the boat. Like I had my, you know, like <laughs> I had, I hadn't been back in this, in Australia very long. I was really still, you know, been. In, I still had American accent, I think, because we'd been there that long. But it was my first experience there, and and um, yeah, we we put them through, and they sold quite well, really considering what they were. So then the next year, I went back and I picked out. I think we were allowed a three the next year, so we I picked out the three best ones, and I said to Susan, you know, we're going to get this SDM deal going here. So we went back down again and sold a couple more, and people were coming up to me going, man, your horses are going good. Like, they're, yeah. they're really broke. They stop and they turn. And 
and I was and they're on a cow even for for two year olds you know so we um we ended up um I ended up leaving there I think I was there two and a half three years and we ended up in Tamworth and then I was at Grant Quigley's starting a few cults and uh, Richard Bull rang me or I rang Richard I think Breckelman actually Breckelman had always been a really big influence on me from the day I set foot back in Australia like he would ring me once a week how you going what do you think of this what do you you know he, he, he actually remember when I when I was starting out as a kid I, I never did any of this to become wealthy but I always wanted to be recognized by my peers yeah. and I felt like I'd made it when like John Breckelman was asking me for his opinion, like my opinion. Yeah. And and same with Butty and Butty and I were great mates. And Butty would, we'd be talking about training horses and Butty would go, "What do you think, Rob?" You know. And I'm just like, you know, mate, I must, I must, yeah, I must be going all right because Butty's asking me questions. But so um, so going back to Bully, I went, I ended up out at Tamarang and he had like 40 horses to break in, I think. It was a big mob. He had all these salutes and salute. We broke salute in as well. And I was driving out there from Quiggs's every day and I'd ride a few at Quiggs's in the evenings and he had this um, con man cult there and there's a little bull rider fellow there riding him around, Dave Mason, and, and he was having a bit of trouble with him and Bully said, oh, do you reckon you could go and give him a hand? And anyway, next thing I was riding him and, and Dave had to go to do some PBRs over in the States or something so I ended up with him and we I just you know did everything I could I thought you know this horse could he's a very landmark style horse so he could bring a bit of money so I'll do everything right you know and then I showed a few people some video of him and we had a bit of Facebook and what have you and and at the time we were doing a bit with the Heslins because um, Lee was doing the marketing for Tap Dance and Cut and I said to Ray, I said, come out and look at these salute fillies out at Bullies because there were some really nice fillies there. And I said, it'd be probably good to get one if they can get them registered to get them and yeah. breed them back to tap dancing cattle, I'll get one or two. And while he was there, I said, well, while we're out there looking at these horses, I said, watch this, watch me work this con man cult. And I worked him on the bag and I kind of had my hand down on him and he was swooping around pretty cool. And, and old Ray's like, man, you know, we, this is a nice horse anyway. Cut a long story short, he ended up buying the cult, and I think it was sixty five thousand or something, and and um, that was the start yeah. of like that was the you Wolf know of people Street, are like the it? Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. yeah. So then <clears throat> people were ringing me up, oh you know, can you put my horse through the yeah. landmark sale? And then Chrissy and Terry came along, and I knew that I knew them from when I was a kid working for Jimmy Matthews, and then um, when um, when I was at Gundawindi, he was doing all the mustering for us, so. We ended up, um, they ended up sending me their sale horses for a few years, which really was a good, you know, shot, you know, yeah. to, to, to get on the map because, you know, they were nice horses and they were conmans and they were bringing good money and just needed a program on them and, you know, we presented them and did our job and um, I think they were happy with that and, and then we just kind of kept progressing and each year, you know, I remember Russ, Russ Bradley rang me up and he said, hey, Rob, he goes, I've got a metallic cat here. Um, he goes, you do a good job on those sale horses. He goes, would you mind putting him through the sale for me? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So then I got one more metallic. Yeah. And we got him and did the program with him. And, and just, just I, I think the big thing for those where the two-year-old deal has been um, a bit natural for me was when I was 
I had Rogers and I was just riding two year olds every day. Roger, Roger Wagner, Wagner. Yeah. yeah. And 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 I remember like Roger was just like keep it slow, keep it slow, you know, like it's just building that repetition and that foundation in there. So, you know, you take those two year old Colts and you just, you know, build their confidence every day and then you know, by the time you got them to the sale, you could really, like, you know, put the hammer down on them and send them, you know, and they knew what to do. Yeah. You know, they just, they, it was just everything was the same, just a bit quicker. Yeah. And and so people were like, wow, you know, these horses are going good. But he was a natural, he's a freaky athlete. Like, he's a really, really cool horse. Yeah, so Wolf of Wall Street mm. was really a turning point for you. He sold mm. for, would you say, about 80? 65, I think. 65. Yeah. And then that metallic cap you were just colt you were just talking about he went for 210 and that was a real uh a real talking point wasn't it yeah he was he was an amazing athlete you could see it yeah and he could really you know before that before that um butsy had sold stylish for 120 120, and that was massive i can remember i can remember when butsy put shakira spin through and i think she bought 40 or something yeah and it was just amazing like wow everyone's like wow butsy just sold all for forty thousand. and i'm now i'm like if i don't get forty thousand, i'm like yeah you know dropping the bottom lip (laughs) i still remember watching that up in i was in the ladies luncheon and that big screen the money was just pumping through and we were sort of all looking, thinking, is that board the right amount? We yeah, just didn't yeah. really know whether there was really anything. You know, we thought the board was going wrong. But, yeah, no, it was, it was just well, I think they had trouble feeling. with the board because they, ne- they never thought it would get that far. <laughs> so um, I remember Clay was running, Clay Seney was running around the back there. He was telling me later that they were trying to adjust the software to go higher on the big screen. But, um, yeah, it was that was really... You know, a big turning point in my career. You know, um, yeah, it was. It, we were just fortunate enough to to get the good horses to ride and get the good clients. And you know, and then the following year we had Corbett's after that, um, and Spinner Cat. And you know, he was he was really cool. Like just very so suitable for the landmark job. Like for the you know for the camp draft crossover. Like he went to the futurity with Todd and made the finals. Like he nearly won Victoria last year and a lot of these horses that we're putting through of all they're all starting to pop up i I remember we sold a horse les stewart he's bought a couple of us um he's got a horse called flight command and you know everyone up north talks about him because he's such a great horse he's one of one that chrissy and terry bred that was out of um first flight um and then they've got he they've got a couple others and um they they just seem to pop up randomly you know um the money that's coming into landmark do you think it's going to, you know, that type of money is going to still continue on it? We're in drought conditions. And obviously, I think everyone sort of wonders, who are these people paying this type of money? Is it is it going to be happening every year? What's your thoughts on, you know, the money and those high price horses? Is it going to keep happening? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I really don't know. Like, I didn't think it was going to happen last year, you yeah. know. I didn't think, yeah. you know, but it did. Um you know the the horse market is still alive because you know I went up to Dolby this year and and Dolby was really strong. You know, yeah, I just went up for a look and, yeah. and it just I was I, thought, I was really surprised that you know the 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 money that was there. Um, it, you know, I think it's a bit of an outlet for a lot of people on the land to mm-hmm. go and buy a nice horse and go to a few drafts and um, yeah, I don't really know. I you know I think you know people are always gonna want to have a bit of fun and yeah. Well, I think Landmark itself, it's become a bit of a socialite type thing to be a part of it yeah. and come yep. down every year and it's nearly... Get together. You know, it's a bit like 
the Warwick Gold Cup, but something you sort of now just have got mm. penciled in as the thing you're going to do. Used to be, used to be that I would sail at Rocky when I was in yeah. the territory. We used to yeah. go down and buy a truckload of geldings from. You know, I remember watching. I can remember sitting up there, and I was a jackaroo. Like I was only about eighteen or nineteen, and I was sitting up on the on the concourse there above the sail ring and watching Ian Francis and Frank Green and those guys in there spinning these horses around in the sail ring and just thinking, wow, geez, one day I'd love to be able to do that. Yeah. So who, <laughs> as, as a young fella, who were your, like you've mentioned Ian Francis and Breckenwood, but who was sort of that person in your life that um, you went from, you know, just your average horse person to oh, I want to be like them type person? Well, <clears throat> no, I was, long story, like, um, when I first left school, I ended up. I was at. I, I quit school because I wasn't very good at it. I was. Where, where did you go? To what, school? Was well, I grew up yeah. in Mansfield, down in the high country there, yeah. down near Mount Buller. And mum and dad had a little place there. Dad was actually a policeman for like twenty five years, and then he decided he'd get into pubs. He bought some pubs there around the place. So they had a little place there as well. But um, and then yeah, that was that kind of screwed my deal up because I wasn't allowed to go into the pubs anymore because before that I'd been <laughs> I was underage I was right and then they were on yeah. to me then so I had to move so I think I was 15 and and I um I quit school did year 10 dad said to me he goes you got to get a job and I was like right he goes you, you know he goes you need to get a trade and I said I want to go to the territory and he said no well, <clears throat> he goes if you can get a good job you can quit school but if not you got to start school so same old story but so I, I went over, there was a girl living across the road from us and, and she was really good at writing resumes. So I went over there and she she said, yeah, 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 I know I know the guy at Newcastle Waters. She goes, I'll get you a job at Newcastle Waters and in we'll do this. Yeah, yeah. In, in the territory. So we'll write this resume for you. So we're there for like a day and oh, yeah, I had everything on there. I could drive a bulldozer and I could pull a bore and I could shoot a, shoot a crocodile and I was just like the ringer from the top end. I, yeah. I could toss a buffalo and yeah, and I was a great horseman and this and that. Anyway, I'm, I was only 15. So I get a phone call from, um, I can't remember if it was Ken Warren or who it was at the time and he said, look, sorry mate, you know, you're a bit young this year. The camp's full but there's a guy's going to call you. So anyway, about three days later, I get a phone call and this raspy voice on the other end of the phone, so it was, he says to me, he said, Rob. I said, yeah, he goes, Jimmy Matthews here. And I said, yeah, g'day Jimmy. And I knew who the Matthews family were. They were very good camp drafters. Yeah. And uh, like probably the, at the, back in the 80s, Ray Matthews, Jimmy's son, was probably the best camp drafter to come out. Well, one of the best in Victoria. He, he won the gold cup and... You know, the grandfather clock and yeah. you know, went up there, had a truckload of just top-notch open horses. And I, th- I think before Ben Hawley was the youngest to win the Gold Cup. Yeah, okay. So anyway, Jimmy's like, mate, he goes, I hear you're pretty handy. And he goes, do you look, are you looking for a job? And I said, yeah, I do. I am. And he said, well, my son Raymond's looking for an offsider to break these horses in. He said, can, when can you start? Because Raymond at the time was breaking in thoroughbreds. He just started a thoroughbred breaking business and I said tomorrow he said right he said come down so couldn't roll me swag quick enough mum's I've got mum loaded up in the car and we're headed down they were at Diggers Rest at the time which is now Mark Ruff's place so anyway <clears throat> we get we go in there and um and it's Friday night and Jimmy's there with his old racehorse trainer mate Tommy Hughes 
and I'll never forget this. And I just thought, this is the place. I, I, I mean, I love it here. I walk in there and they're telling stories. These are, they're halfway through a bottle of scotch or probably three quarters of the way through one. And the stories coming out were just thick, you know. Like yeah. it was a great, they were, I was just enamored by these two old fellas. And mum's like, are you sure you want to stay here? And like, she's a devout Catholic, you know. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this <laughs> yeah. is for me. So I was like, you go. So anyway, so she leaves. So then the next day, Jimmy's like, we have breakfast at daylight. Now Dulcie cooks up a bacon and eggs. And anyway, we go outside and Jimmy's like, right, I mate. And was, I think it was um, like May. And the, they had these oak trees down the driveway at Diggers Re- at Newman Park. And it was about a mile long, probably, it was probably two miles long. And there's all these leaves as far as you can see, just leaves. Oh, I could never seen so much leaves. And Jimmy says to me, he goes, right on, mate. He goes, here's a rake. He goes, start raking. Oh. And I'm just like, oh, I've been ambushed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I've been ambushed. So they've sucked me in, these people. So anyway, I get this rake, and I was like, I'll show him rake. So away I go. <laughs> so I rake and rake and rake and rake the first day, and they're driving past me. No one even waves. I'm raking on there, third, third day, fourth day, fifth day, about seven or eight days. I'm still raking these leaves. And I've got piles of leaves as high as this house, and you can't even see where I've been. And Jimmy comes driving up to me, and he goes, how you going, mate? I said, yeah, good. And he goes, give me that rake. And he, I handed it to him. I thought I was in trouble, you know. And he chucks it on the ground. He goes, you don't have to rake anymore. He goes, get in the car. <laughs> and that was it. Never had to rake again. That yeah, was right. it. He was just testing me out. Yeah, yeah. see so if you had any patience. Yeah, see if I was gonna if I yeah. was gonna stick it out. And yeah, I reckon two weeks at least on that rake. <laughs> I always tell these kids when they come to work for me, you know, because they think they're gonna start riding and training like the first yeah. day. And yeah. I'm like, you know, grab that rake over there and start cleaning a few stalls, and they start dragging their feet. And I'm like, oh, I don't think this one's gonna last very long. Yeah. You know. So, but anyway, so then, so Dr- Jimmy and Ray- Raymond used to get Ray Hunt. Um, out or Jimmy did when they were in the early days in the 80s down to their place and so Raymond was a big Ray Hunt kind of a, he knew a lot of stuff and had really good feel and I didn't know any of the stuff I was a bush rider like I grew up I learned how to ride in the mountains like mustering for the like a lot of the locals like guys I grew up with had used to run cattle in the high country and I used to I had a I showed up there at Jimmy's I had a crupper on my saddle you know, like a crupper that goes under their tail. Yeah, so you yeah. saddle that. Because we used to go down lots of big hills, you know. Yeah, yeah. so, um, you know, I'm four holes longer than bareback and had the old Blundstone shoes on and, yeah. you know. And and um, anyway, so Jimmy's like, mate, he's, give me a couple hundred bucks. He said, get Dulcie, take her, get her to take you into Essendon and buy some bloody decent clothes for crying out loud. So, yeah. <laughs> so I go in and got me a new pair of cowboy boots and, pair of like um levi boot cut jeans and i was all macked out then yeah, you know you so right. then i was right so and um anyway raymond was a big influence on me getting going and then um and then i left there i was there a couple of years and i went up to um i went up to the territory i still wanted to get to the territory and i ended up at carlton hill and um uh in the kimberleys and I did a year there in the camp, and while I was there, I had a couple of horses in the plant and got them going a bit, and I think I won a draft, and, you know, like, for as far as the ringers would go up there, I was a little bit probably better than the average one, and the old manager from Newry came over to me and he said, oh, do you want to come and give us a hand in the wet breaking in? 
I said, oh, I'd love to. So I went, although he was managing Argyle as well at the time, and that's where CPC used to breed all their horses. So we went to went over to Argyle, and I was there for the wet. We broke in a big heap of horses, and while I was there, um, oh, actually, no, the, the, so then the following year, I ran the camp at Newry with old Rod McComb, and did, we did Argyle, and I had a crew of all um, Aboriginal fellas. Mm. Uh, it was funny because I, I went there to break horses in, and the head stockman... There was some kind of he was a bit disgruntled because he thought he should have got the manager's job, so he took the whole camp with me with him. Yeah. And old Rod came over to the quarters that afternoon and he said, "Oh, Rob, he goes, do you mind giving me a hand mustering tomorrow?" And I said, "No, no worries." He goes, "I'll have a crew of fellas here in the morning at daylight." And I said, "Yeah, no worries." Anyway, daylight they cut, start rolling in from Timber Creek, hey, all in the back of the Ute. <laughs> There's all these like fellas and and uh, and it was the best crew of fellas. They were the yeah. Joneses and the Anzacs and the Hectors and they'd all grown up on <clears throat> BRD. Yeah. And pigeonhole Mullaloo, and they were all proper good ringers. They just had to have a bloke there with them to kind of yeah. keep them rolling. But that's sort of what they do up there, yeah. hey? Like they'll just take a oh. vehicle into town there. Yeah. They all sort of flock over because they know there's a bit of paid work, and they all jump in yeah. the back and out they go. Oh, it was a, it, it yeah. was a great year, and we ended up. Um, that was a year. I'm, I think that was a year I met Lee, and um, Lee's dad had Waterloo, which was next door to Argyle. So Lee's dad was um, John Quintana. John Quintana, and he mm. was. Very well known in that Lee's your wife, yeah. by the way, for yep. who don't yep. know Lee because she works quite hard in the backgrounds, but you don't always see her. No, shows, she's but, um, yeah, and there's not much of very her, so unassuming. You can blink well, and not if see you see her, her, you'll notice her, she's pretty cute, yeah, but no, she's lovely. But she, um, yeah, she well, so I'm at we're at the Brahmin dinner at the Catherine show, and Jimmy Matthews is there, and he goes, What are you doing, you mug? I'm at the bar, you know, and I was like, Oh, just having a few rums, you know, he goes. Don't be doing that. He goes, come over here. I've got a bloke I want to introduce you to. And it was John Quintana. And he goes... And John so, Quintana, for those who mm. don't know, he was how many like, world oh, champions? Well, he won He won the world championship in 1972. Over in America, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, in, in the RCA, or back then it was. And, and he was highly regarded as one of the best bull riders that ever lived, like for riding the rank ones, because he broke, he broke his own record three or four times. He, he was... Um, he rode a ball called V sixty one for, I think it was ninety four points or ninety six points or something back then, and and the bull had been unridden for three hundred and something whatever it was, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a big big mural of him in the in Fort Worth there at Billy Bob's, but so yeah, I met Lee and so then the following year um, we ended up uh, the guy from Rosewood, Doug Struber, who was next door to, to Argyle. He rang. He came over and seen me, and he said, "Would you mind coming and doing some breakers for me?" And I said, "Yeah, no worries." So in the wet, I was over there. Did those? Did I think I did fifteen? And I, <clears throat> I gave him my invoice, and I can't remember what it was. It was like a hundred and fifty bucks a horse or something. I had ten horses, and I had ten days on them, and I, and I wrote him out a bill for like hundred and fifty horses, hundred and fifty a horse. And he goes, "Mate," he goes, "I'll pay ya, but I'm gonna put a bit of a little bit extra on here." He goes, "Because you're." You're undercharging, and I said, "What do you mean I'm under? Like I'm thinking, fifteen hundred bucks for ten days of work. Like that's good ringers <laughs> wages, you know. Yeah. Like I was being used to being like on two hundred fifty a week, you know. So he goes, no, he goes, he goes. I've had I've had horse breakers here the last ten years, and they weren't going half as good as these, and they were charging double what you're charging. So he said, you need to put your price up. So anyway, I went back home, and then I was back at Jimmy's, and Jimmy goes, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I'm going back up there breaking in. This is good money." So he goes, righto. So he gets on the phone and he just straight away, bang, bang, bang. Milton Jones, yeah, Camfield, Monogini, 
Um, went down to Bunda, broke in for Reggie at Reggie Underwood at Bunda. Ended up, I went back and did all CPCs at Argyle and Newcastle Waters. Man Blue, um, Averne, Erie. Um, and then um, Paul Stone rings me on that Bunda and he goes, oh, can you come over and do these ones here? So I ended up at uh, Mount Sanford. And we were there, I would have broken well over 100 horses there at Mount Sanford. I mean, uh, Tom Tom Curtin come out of the camp and give me a hand and that. Then when I ended up after, I'd done that for a few years and, and then Lee's dad bought a place called Welltree up on the floodplain up below Darwin and he kind of coerced me into going to work for him. And he told me that barramundi fishing was real good and pig hunting and everything and blah, blah, blah. So I ended up giving all my clients to Tom and Tom kept going with it and kept breaking in and then we ended up there. Oh, gee, that, everything that could bite you, that anything that could bite you in the territory lived on Welltree. <laughs> like snakes, crocodiles, spiders, like it was just, yeah, bloody reptiles, eh? Did you have any close calls with any... Oh, we had crocodiles. Oh, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was... Wasn't a day you didn't have a close call yeah. or something. I remember, yeah, just crazy. Being a closest call, I had a King Brown in the shower with me there at Kalani one night. Before. Yeah, right. And um, I was coming back from Mount Sanford and I stopped at Kalani for the night and and there was like a little uh, governess's quarters there next to the kitchen and no one had been in there for for a week or two and they had like an outside bathroom and so anyway I'm in there and. I'm all soaked up and washing my hair and everything and this big King Brownie come in under the door oh. and was in, in between me and the door and I I was like, oh man, I was like, if Steve Irwin can do it, I was like, crikey, I was like, easy, easy, easy boy, I was, anyway, I, I, um, I waited for a few minutes and I was, I was proper sweating and he came right in and brushed up against my ankle and then he stuck his head back out under the door and I pulled the door open and my towel was hanging on the back side of the door and I went, threw the towel on him and I jumped over him and cramped, climbed up on top of this washing machine and was throwing, I was throwing bloody bo- boxes of dynamo at him and he, st- <laughs> he took off out across the grass and the only thing I could find was a lounge chair that wasn't bolted down. Like I had this big lounge chair and I've like picked it up and I'm running around the flat in the nude in the dark trying to club this King Brown with, to death with a lounge chair. But um, yeah, no, it was, that, that was the closest shave I ever had to death, I reckon. Um, but no, we, we had an interesting time in the territory. Welltree was, yeah, it was the best barramundi fishing in the world. We used to go, like, right in the build-up for the wet. You had a little tinny there, so Bob Townsend, we bought the place off. He left his boat for me, and we used to go down and just, you could just rattle your lure out of the boat in the shade there where these big schools of barramundi were, and they'd rip it out of your hand, you know. Mm. And, um, yeah, crocs, and yeah, it was good fun. And then uh, we got, we kind of got sick of that. We were there. I was there a couple of years and didn't do much horse work. And we ended up. I ended up back at back at Waterloo for a bit, and then back down at Killarney. And then we went to America for a holiday for three months during the wet. I was supposed to go back and kind of oversee at Killarney. Um, and I got offered a job while we were over in the states riding two-year-olds. Hey guys. We interrupt this interview to bring you a quick word from our great sponsor, Camp Draft Training Online. Are you guys sick of not making the finals? Maybe you can't put a big run together. 
well, why not jump on www.teamcto.com.au to find out all the latest and greatest tips from some of Australia's greatest horsemen and camp draft trainers. These guys will certainly make the difference in your program. So remember, when spurring and jerking just ain't working, jump on www.teamcto.com.au and subscribe and make sure you get yourself into that winner's circle. I went over there and I spent a bit of time with Martin Black, who was Ray Hunt's grandson. And, um, yeah, we we ended up yeah, at Twistleman's there and that was where I bought that little chestnut mare that I've had all that luck on. And, Pumpkin. Yeah, and yep. she... she um, we ended up, I took her up to the cow horse fraturity there, a three-year-old year. I, I, after I left Twistman's, and that, that was where we did the sales and stuff. But anyway, I ended up at Jake Gorrells, and Jake, he was a, well, he's won everything there is to win over there. And uh, he helped me a lot with the showing and getting showing. I didn't know anything about showing a horse. Like, I was yeah. a proper ringer. Yeah, so this cow horse stuff, yeah. was it really, isn't that big in Australia? So no. is that where you sort of got yeah. your little passion Yeah, and I, well, well... I, I reckon I got it from from Quintana because he gave me this video of Greg Ward winning the um, Cow Horse Futurity in 98 on this horse called Remnex Pep. Yeah. And he was really sick, Greg was. He had cancer. Like, they had to lift him on the horse. And he won the whole the whole shebang. But he had a video of the finals and this little black horse, he's cutting up. Eh? He's got him He's got him in the herd work and he's just like, crawling around like left and right on a cow and... And he runs him around there in the dry work and he slides like 15, 20 feet and spins a hole in the ground and change leads. And then mm. he goes down the fence and this little bloke's like a little rag doll on this horse going down the fence and this horse is just in the bubble the whole time, flat. Yeah. And I was just like, that's a three-year-old? Like I looked at it going, that's a three-year-old. That three-year-olds can, horses can actually do that. Like yeah. I didn't, let alone be three-year-old. I, I never said, like I was a ringer, you know. And when we drafted and stuff and had a bit of luck, but... I didn't realise like I knew about feel and I and I could get I thought I could get one broke but I had no idea that the extent to you where you could actually go with one. Mm. And so we ended up over there and went to work for Jake and he put a heap of polish on me and, and I showed up there at the Futurity and won the limited open on her and made the finals and yep. she was um she was good despite me. Like I got her away more than anything. And then the following year I went back with a couple more and made the finals and we made the finals there five or six times. Um, so would you say that was probably a real turning point in your career as a horseman when you went from just your usual sort of breaking in, camp yeah. drafting, bushman style, just went the over polish. there and that yeah. just sort of, you went, that just really well, was a turning I point? I think um, knowing that, you, that it's achievable is a big thing. Like mm. I always thought, you know, I read about, like I used to read the Western Horsemen all the time and see Bob Avila and Teddy Robinson and these guys that were winning over there at the time going, wow, you know, look at them. They've got these big gold buckles and start mm. shirts and yeah. thinking, wow, these guys are cool. Next thing I remember, I remember the turning point for me was I was at, um, we went to Sacramento and I had this bridal horse called Plain Duel. We used to show him, like, he's just a weekend show horse and he could cut on him and he'd had a few different trainers that had him and everyone had done that, that added a little bit of good stuff to him. So we ended up uh, going out and it was called the Magnificent Seven and it was three events and they used to take the top seven back for the final. Uh, no, four events, sorry. There was cutting, raining, 
cow horse and steer stopping where you got to come out of the chute and go and rope a steer. When I was at Twistleman's, we roped a lot. And I started roping when I worked for John because he pulled all the bloody calf cradles out at Kalani and they used to rope everything. Yeah, right. Like, he, we, he was proper American style. Like, the yeah. crew, we had a bigger crew and it used to take a bit longer, but it wasn't a chore. Like, you weren't on the calf cradle just slaving away. So yeah. we'd work all our horses and you'd have... You know, you'd have eight or ten horses saddled up when you're branding calves. And we used to hold them up in the corner of the of the yard and up square or the cooler yeah. and light a couple of fires and have the brands there. And you'd just ride in there, grab a rope of calf around the neck and just drag him out and someone would heal him right there by the fire and lay him down and hit, the, yeah. hit him with the brand. And yeah, right. It was yeah, really okay. proper so American really stuff. John, Because yep. they had a fair bit to do in America, didn't they? Like your wife, Lee, had grew up fairly yeah. well between Australia and America. Well, so. he came out in 88. Yeah. Yeah. So he was um, he was out here and she used to come back and do school the year and stuff. So And then she'd go back, spend six months with her mum and then come back, spend six months yeah. with John. And she, she was kind of half Aussie, half American. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, that was where I kind of got into roping. And then when I was at Twistleman's, they, they were proper. Like, Caleb, he was my age. He'd been to the NFR three times at that stage, won the BFI. Like, he was a, he was a real ninja team roper, you know. Mm. And then, um, so my job for them was just keeping their horse, keeping him mounted, you know, yeah. keeping his horses tuned up. And, and so then we ended up, yeah, I ended up doing well in this Magnificent Seven, going back to that other story. We did really well in it, and I'm I'm like leading it, going into the fence work. Like I won the herd work, and I was second in the rain work, and I was second in the team in the steer stopping, right. and I'm like right up there and got a bit of a lead, and my freaking horse falls over going down the fence, and I get a big fat zero, oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, anyway, so like I mag, uh, the Western Horseman magazine was there, and they've interviewed me and done this story on me about being an Aussie and being able to be yeah. able to adjust to this really american sport so yeah and that really pumped me up and i thought i you know thought yeah. i'd made it yeah. and then from there we ended up we leased a place for a couple of years and did our own thing and then ended up down in texas and worked for roger worked for chris cox for a little while and then worked for roger for a little while and then left there and did a bit of contract um, breaking into cash up again over there ended up down in south carolina um for a little while, and then we ended up coming back here and going to Windy near Tamworth. Yeah. What was your experience over, like, in America? How come those horses, like, is it? Do you reckon it's just their heritage that, you know, they are so broke and they're so cow related? Like, how come you find maybe Australia was a possibly a step behind in that sense? Well, genetics. You know, they've been breeding them for performance for the last 50, 60 years. You know, we probably haven't realize the importance of genetics so much as we were using our horses more for a job yeah so you know our horses were doing long days big you know wide open places you know um over there a lot of places are a bit smaller and they don't need as much horsepower not not all places there are some really big places over there but but here is just more of it you know so we probably bred them more for a job than for their trainability yeah so over there, you know, like those little cat horses and stuff, a lot of them you wouldn't want to ride to the front gate on them because they just can't walk. Yeah. You know, they all they want to do is stop, which is good because then when you put them on a cow, you just got to kick them and when you stop kicking them, they stop. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to pull on them. So, and you can hook them up to a cow really easy and they're very, very um, biddable, good-minded horses that, that 
are accepting to their training, whereas a lot of these, you know, heritage stock horses, not all of them, you know, like not all, there are some very good trainable ones, but, but you know, they don't like being, you know, having guys pester them, you know, training on them all the time. Yeah, they physically like they mature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. their body, like yeah. they're, and they're, they're not as strong, you know, like, you know, you can go and get on some of those cat horses and just stop him and turn him and stop him and turn him and he'll just get better and better and better the more you do it. Whereas you get on some of these dog horses and you do it once or two or three times and they're tired, you know, and they, they, they're not physically strong enough to do it. So that's kind of what we've been doing with, with our breeding is just trying to get that in between, you know, yeah. like try and get a bit of hip on them and, and that trainability, but still have that that stock horse in them where they can travel, you know. Well, is that one thing? Yeah, obviously you keep that in mind with your breeding because Pumpkin's quite a, she's quite a very quarter horsey mm. type, isn't she? But she could always chase a cow. When mm. I, what I saw of her drafting, she she's, never really She could, could adjust, yeah. yeah. She, she, was, she was a clever mare and, ch- you know, chased cows like she was on rails. But then when you go, when you see horses chase cattle, um, like Congressman, he can shorten up a cow and he's only young like he's he's not even really he hasn't even hit his peak yet i don't think like he got better i took him to victoria this year and um did three three weeks and i don't draft a whole lot like but to have him on the truck for three weeks and do you know three in a row kind of thing that's a big that's very rare for me like i'll just do one here and one there and just that little stint there i felt him just lift about four more gears like like by the time i got to that third draft he was really on fire he's probably only what six Seven. Seven. Yeah, mm. and because I, you've won a whole lot on him as like a four-year-old. Yeah, yeah, he's, he was an open horse by four. Yeah, he won yeah. some big ones too, like yeah. notable dra- drafts, you know. Yeah. So come good quick and had big scores. Like, and and I never asked. Oh, you know, I had, I've had people go, oh, you know, you ask that horse for too much, and I actually asked Ben about it one day, and I said, you reckon I ride that horse too hard? And he goes, no, he goes, you never do more than what the cow's doing, mm. and he goes, you know, that's. You know, you, you 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 do what the cow does. If the cow goes fast, you go fast. And you know, so the whole, it all meant made sense to him. And he's very good minded that horse, and he he um he tolerated me, taught me how to chase cattle. You know, letting them be natural. I think the little bit of reiner in me when I first started back here drafting, I wanted to have a lot of control on my horses, and be in control all the time. And now that horse there, he just if you don't leave him alone he won't help you you've got to leave him let him do it and he'll do everything you've just got to chip away the mm. the bits you don't like yep. but if you try to manufacture everything he won't help you yeah. so so i'm on him now all i do is i just let him be natural and he'll he's almost hard to ride sometimes because he reads a cow way before i do so if a cow does something funky when you're going to switch over or something he'll use his head or do something to you know straighten the cow out and you push his hip up behind it and keep it going straight and then he'll kind of wait for you and, he'll, and then when you say when he'll, he you can just shake the reins at him and he'll shut it down and wrap it around the peg you know yeah. which is a cool feeling so i've been trying to you know simulate that into my training or put that into my training program somehow and i feel like i haven't got it perfected long ways from perfected but it's definitely helped me a lot and and you know that understanding the that style of horse too it is i think that's the way the horse market is going um out here like breeding wise and mm-hmm. that's what's um you know the going to bring the money is is the horse that can cut out that can chase a gear 
So even though when you're trying to do, say, like your breeding and um, obviously there's the cutting and the camp drafting, are you you keeping in mind what these horses are going to be in the future as far as Mm. the cutting seems to only have the aged events here and then they generally probably go into a camp drafting pen, do you think? Do you think you're keeping that in mind? Well, Brett Brett said to me he had... um, I can't remember what horse it was. He had a he had one that he thought a whole lot of. It was out of Ducks Ducks, and um, he because he was staying at home and he missed the finals of the Futurity by. I think he didn't enter it in the non pro. He entered it in the open, and he's a bit tight to do both. So he had it in the open. And he thought this is how much he thought of it. And he had two others in the non pro, yeah. and he got the good one in the open, and, and he missed the finals by half a point. And he said to me, he was riding out and he was pretty disappointed and because and, I'd seen how good the horse was and knew how what he could do and he didn't really get to show him off. And, and I said, well, what do you think? And he said, oh, well, he said, it's only an expensive pre-work for Landmark anyway. Yeah, that right. Was it. So even he so, himself, yeah. yeah so, <clears throat> you know, he made his 75000 at Landmark. Yeah. So, you know, cutting's great, but if they don't cut, it's not the end of the world if they if they've got a good front on them and they can travel. They'll always camp draft. You know they'll always chase a cow. Yeah. So you know and and most good camp drafting horses cut to a degree. But I've had some really, I've I've had some really good horses that we've sold through that sale that were reject cutters that just didn't probably handle the training, but just had that extra year on them. They were four year old. And then they came to us and we just backed out of them and just poked them out of cow and, you know, let them enjoy it a bit and then chase cow around and, you know, gone and sold them. Big money. And then they've gone out and they've finally everywhere. Yeah. Like you see them, like some really good good mares that we've put yeah. through that have just, you see them, yeah, they're, they're proper good horses. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you found that... Um, I know a lot of trainers come back coming back from the states, or you know, with maybe a state's influence, they they do want to get a hold of them a lot because that's like the style a little bit, you know, in in the cow horse or the reigning section. Have you found that it was a bit of a difficult um, change to come back to your heritage stock horse, or did you go through a process to work that? Yeah, out? no, I just I just just kind of ride them for what they are, you know, like you know, you can't don't expect them to be stopping and doing big cutouts and i think just keeping it simple and letting the cow dictate you run too like that's been a big thing for me here lately is you know i think when i had in at stages i went through with congressman when he was doing well then i wanted to keep doing well so everyone had come rushing over they're going oh rob's gonna draft congressman so they'd come over to watch what what happens good or bad you know everyone's there to watch and you like you feel especially when you have a stallion you feel like oh i've got to get a bit more out of him now because people are watching mm-hmm. and that's the best way to fail but if you can just work the cow and if the cow gets tough if that horse is confident the horse will get tough too yeah you know so and then you know when the and understanding the dynamics of camp drafting and butty's really helped me with that um you know oh, like i thought i was a pretty good cattleman you know, when I was a ringer up in the Territory, I'd seen thousands and thousands of cattle, thousands of them. Then I went to um, went to the States and I was turning back every day for Roger and I reckon I learnt more turning back in 18 months than I did in 10 years of being around big numbers of cattle every day. Like yeah. just how to read a cow individually. And then 
Bati's kind of thrown another dimension in. He's like, you know, and it's a bit like a dog. Like like when you're training a dog, you know, if, if you see a pup, they don't really know. They want to work things, but they don't really know where they've got to be. And then you just kind of start chipping away the rough bits that, that, that are undesirable yeah. until they start to figure out what, the, the actual what the actual goal is and like when a cow comes towards you and I was doing this really bad I think from a cow was saying you know trying to push on a cow when a cow's pushing on me I'm like you know you need to Butsy said to me he said you need to be defensive when and don't lie to your horse so don't crowd the cow in, in essence so if a cow's coming towards you you know you may have to make a bit of space and I see Pete Comiskey's the best at it especially outside he'll move off a cow and the cow will turn away from him Rather, whereas you see some guys will jump up in the neck of a cow and offend the cow, and then the cow will just get tougher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, and I watch those guys, and so, like, in the cutout, so if you're riding a stock horse and, and you know that, that that horse might not be able to be quick enough to get back through there, you maybe you just back or just change your angle a little bit and, t- and release the pressure off the cow then all of a sudden the cow's turning away from you and then you can go, you're back in the driver's seat again. As soon yeah. as that cow, the, the objective is to, is to get the cow to turn away from you. We're in the yard and outside yeah. rather than get him to draw to you. Yeah. I think, anyway. Yeah. So. Uh, with the, you being over in the States and I know you sort of came back over to, a, uh, to Australia for sort of personal family reasons. Do you sort of feel, um, and knowing that your success here with your sale preparation, do you feel that you could have done really well over in America? Like the prices over there are, mm. are you know, you sell a horse here for 200000 that's just a mediocre type price over there. Do you sort of feel, you sort of wish you had had the chance to stay over there and do your sale preparation? Oh, yeah, we, in hindsight, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but yeah. we, um, we were... Yeah, it hasn't been a day. Oh, the first couple of years we came back here, it was pretty tough, like, yeah. to, to adjust. And yeah. I quite often thought about going back. And, you know, like, Hayden and Hayden and Upton and Hunter Menzer, like, we were all real tight, pretty good buds, when, and we still are. And and um, and after we came back here, they both had great success. Yeah. And we were kind of all, you know, in the middle of it over there yeah. at the time. And... and um, and but but everyone gets their turn and you know and that's just part of being a, a high achiever you know like we all it doesn't matter where you are we've we're you know would have been great to be a big wig over there as well but we had a bit of success there in the cowboy thing and then we ended up back here and now we're doing well here again the best thing the best thing that's happened to us in the last few years is getting our place yeah. and getting set up well yeah. your place here which i don't think we said at the beginning you are located at a tunga just out of townworth and you have some pretty good facilities here with your indoor arena and and um, yeah. undercover stables. Like you've sort of got it all uh, pretty pretty well. It's, yeah, it's it's not turnkey yet, but we're getting there. It's a work in progress, and yeah, we're, we're I'm pretty happy where we are. And yeah, um, Lee's got a good job in town, and Grant he's got he's enjoying going to school here in Tamworth. And yeah. and Grant's how old now? Ten. Ten. Yeah. yeah. He's into his horses. He's got old Pumpkin out there lapping her around, laying her down and cutting her out, cutting out yeah, bareback well, on her. And... Well, Pumpkin, she had an injury, didn't she? So mm. you had to retire her, but now Grant is yeah, taking her on. she had a um, fetlock really bad there last year and I didn't think we'd ride her again and she's come back in. She seems 100%, but I'm not sure. She doesn't owe me anything, so yeah, um, it's good to just see him 
blasting around and I'm getting more enjoyment out of watching him do stuff with her than I would. I've got plenty of good ones to ride, so. Yeah. So yeah. what'd you end up breeding her to over the last few years? What have I've got a, I've got a, um, well, I've got a panther that's a panther that's in the sale that we bred when I was working for Bully. And then I've got a con man filly out of her that's two-year-old that's really a really nice mare and and then I got a couple by congressmen out of up there and they're beautiful like they are yeah. really really nice so um we've been trying this year we just haven't had much luck with the breeding this year so I've just I've been a bit half-hearted about it too because yeah. it's been so dry and we're buying so much hay and I'm like mm-hmm. you know oh, we've got to breed yeah. just, you know yeah I think pack. that's a fairly common yeah not, just the dry it's been tough and then everyone's got to sell them yeah you know like we sold you know, you look at some of the yearling sales and, oh, man, you, sometimes you wonder if it's worth the Yeah, effort, you know? well, the yearling sale at the cutting futurity here, it can be a little bit hit and miss, can't mm. it? And you can't really sell anything that's probably camp drafting bread through it, do you think? It's sort of got to be fairly cutting bread, or how do you think that sort of... Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I think, just a good horse. If it's a good horse and, you know, maternal line... You know, there's somebody there that'll. Yeah. I think with the cutting, there's 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 just probably not a great deal of you know blue hens. I'd call them. You know, like really good producing mares. There's yeah. a, there are a few, but but a lot of the progeny's already kind of snapped up. You know, yeah, it's already like, private yeah, sales. They're all, yeah, or, yeah, they're already. Yeah. Someone's got them. Yeah. You know? So it's hard that you can't. It's hard to go and get a really good one out of a random mare. Yeah, that, that does happen, but you've got to. You know, genetics is is a, has a fair bit to play. You know, fair what's, bit what's your bloodline crosses that you like? You know, they say metallic cat out mare, or you know, there's. Have you got anything, or you just? Um, you know, yeah, metallic cat Durais cross is good. It seems like the crazier the ma- the mother is, the better they are out of the like the metallic cats. Yeah, right. Um, you know, the more, more cowier and feelier they are, the metallic cats are really got that trainability. I broke in this, um, I broke in a metallic cat cult out of Suicide Blonde for Phil Connigan this year. And, and um, oh man, he was waspy. Like, they, I got him, I went picking him up from Glen Innes. He was at Wally Ray's. And, and uh, yeah, I jumped up on the side of the float and he was just crawling around in the float there and like half kicking out. And I was, I was like, gee, wild. And within two weeks, uh, I had this horse. Like, he was just doing crazy stuff, like really athletic and trainable, and and soft. And and anyway, we had we put a bit on him, and then I sent him back up to Phil, and Phil's been riding him, and he just loves him, so he's getting him ready for the futurity. So it seems like the ones that are out of those feely mares that are a bit quirky, that the cats yeah. they, they. Well, I don't know what Suicide Blonde's like to handle, but to mm. watch, she's a she's a pretty handy yeah. mare. She's something yeah, yeah. Enjoy, I enjoy watching. And then. Um, you know, the, the obviously the the con man um, acres like out of the acres man yeah. seems to seems to be the right balance. Yeah, um, which that's what your cult yeah, cult like congressman. Yeah. Um, you know, I probably don't look at you know blood the 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 bloodlines as much as the individuals. You know, like yeah. you know, you just look at them and go, oh, that horse has got a bit of it needs a bit of a front end on it, so we'll breed it to con man or yeah. You know, it's got a bit. It's a bit weak in the hip, so we might breed it to metallic cat. You know, or you know, so the likes or something like that. Yeah, yeah, just try and try and compensate for its weaknesses wherever you can, and yeah. try and build the perfect horse. 
Yeah. So what horses are impressing you at the moment out there as far as mares and stallions or what's sort of out there that you sort of enjoy to, you enjoy watching? Oh, or? well, um, locally here, um, you know, oh, there's just so many good camp drafting horses about. I think the horse that impressed me and, I, and when I had him as well as afterwards was Spinnaker. Like I knew he was good. I didn't think he'd make a fertility horse. I just thought he was maybe... Physically a bit immature, like as a three-year-old, but yeah. Todd did a fantastic job on him, and gee, he just looks so good. Mm. Well, Spinner Cat, he's by Metallic Cat out of one more. One more out of the Con Man Mare. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you just, I just, you have to look at him very seriously, you know, to breed to, just because he's got that good front. And I, I just can't wait to see what he does when he starts chasing. Like I know what he'll do when he starts chasing one, because he's, I've chased a few on him here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, as a five-year-old five or however old he's going to be before they start drafting him, it's going to be good to see. Good to see. Um, you know, stylish is great. Yeah, yeah there's, it's hard, it's hard to, to name stallions because as a trainer because you yeah. don't want to, you know, say the wrong thing. But um, they're just all in good in, you know, there's good and bad in every breed, you know. You just, I remember like at, at Rogers, he had, randoms eh like everyone's riding metallic cats and oh not metallics but like highbrow cats at the time and he had um all meek and blues like r- random yeah meek and blues and he, he did he won like i don't know six or seven hundred thousand on that yeah. old quentin blue and no one else That's was right. riding them yeah. yeah so what's your plans from here rob over the next few uh few years you're gonna keep going on with the sale horses or what's your plans from here yeah kylie i um Really, the sale has has been really good to us, you know, with the the way it's we've managed to build up a clientele and a, and a profile. Really, it really has. Like five years ago, you know, we were kind of fresh off the plane, and and you know, we didn't really know which way we were going, and I and I took the sale as a way to to um. To build a reputation and, and build a profile and build a clientele and, and it's allowed us to buy this place and and get to where we are now and you know i think i'll always do the sale but it's probably not my priority you know i think um we probably get more into into the drafting the challenging i, I just i really do like the, the stockman challenges like cloncurry and um the horse of the north and yeah. you know they've got a good one at canamble dolby they've got one next year at that arbc where They've got that Australia's greatest horseman, and yeah, you know yeah. it's got cutting, right? Um, raining and fence work, and you know like a cow horse show. Yeah. So, you know those events really are the ones that excite me as well. Yeah. The cam drafting really does. I love drafting. I just I love the science of it. Grant is into it now, so you know, um, you know if we can do a bit more of that, be more competitive and get out. We you know we're set up better now to where we do, you know home is is there where everything's ticking along we can get away a bit more yeah um and be a bit more competitive and still train a cutter or two you know here and there i'm still i still like anything to do with cattle and horses any yeah. cowboy stuff i love yeah. it <laughs> so you're looking forward to doing a bit more yeah. sort of competition side yeah. as well over the yeah next yeah yeah and yep yeah. Def, totally yeah, yeah. I, love, I love the competitive side of it and it, and it just makes you better yeah you know like well, if you're not if you're not getting out and about you yeah. kind of get left behind yeah. Well, I, I must admit, over the last few years, like you say, you don't get to every show, but 
you're really knocking on the door all the time up in the places, especially with that congre- congressman there mm. at one stage. You were hardly going to a show and you were just blue ribbon there. Yeah. Yeah, he's been out. cool. So, yeah, um, I like I like to win, like everybody. Yeah, you that's know, what so. I mean. You do have that. You're not just a trainer because you no. can get caught in a training. Yeah. Um, sort of. And I've been through that, and yeah. then and then the men, the mental side of it is um, is really interesting to me, like the the winning attitude, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, being I remember Lee's dad. That was his forte. Was was real. Like it didn't matter if he was playing pool or, you know. We were on the punching bag or what. It didn't matter what we were doing. He Dancing. He was like, if we are going to dance, we'd go to a party somewhere. And if I was out there dancing, Lee and I were dancing, he'd get out there and he'd start dancing and he'd have to be the best dancer. Like, it didn't matter what we were doing. Yeah. So And he had this way he used to, like, he had this winning mentality where, remember we'd be roping calves and, and, um, and, and he'd say, he'd, right before you're about to take a swing, he'd be like, don't miss this one. And you'd miss it. Yeah. You know, because he just like plant a seed. Yeah. And so he'd like get in your head. I remember someone told me a story about him. He was at a rodeo at Houston or somewhere back in the 70s and he was the big wig. He just won the world championship and he just won Cheyenne and, you know, he was like the big gun. You know, shows up there and he's got like the, the you know, fancy hat and the, you know, flash sweater vest and the starch jeans and yeah, you know, the, the look, look in the goods. He was real yeah. flash, old John. And so then he, he walks up to the back of the shoots and there's a there's a bull rider there that's like the new kid on the block that everyone's kind of talking about. And so they all chewed Copenhagen back then and Quintana had his can of Copenhagen. Like he had an engraved lid that he used to put on his Copenhagen cans. Like oh, it's silver engraved, yeah. had JQ on it. And it was like sterling cool. silver. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, he's going up to this kid and he's like, hey, hey, bud, can I bum a chew off you? And he's like, oh, yeah, Mr. Quintana, you know, like, yeah. John, oh, I'd be my, my honour to let you have a chew. So he's he's taking this can of chew off of this kid and he, right in front of him, he's just swapped the lids over and put it back in his pocket. Give him, uh, give him the empty, empty one, one. <laughs> <laughs> and kept the full one and never even took a chew out. And so this um this kid he's just like what the hell is this you know like probably yeah. got wild and never said anything but he just got to thinking about it and he like bucked off all these balls at the rodeo and John's just gone out and won the bull riding yeah yeah you know yeah, so right. just so the psych he just yeah. psych got in his head you know yeah. and um that winning like it's all fun and games like it's all we all like. It's not that serious, and in fact, there's a fair bit of that goes on around here too, like yeah. the mind games and stuff, and it's all good. Like it's just, it's just fun, you know. I enjoy yeah. that side of it, and I enjoy just, you know, doing a good job for my clients. And well, Rob, on one of our earlier podcasts with Mark Buttsworth, we we talked a little bit about his faith in Christianity, and we know that you're pretty good mates with Buttsy and um, a strong Christian yourself. Just talk to us a little bit how your faith plays a role in your journey and how that all came about. I think, um, you know, a lot of people probably don't realise I am a Christian and they probably see this, you know, bit of a rough bloke that <clears throat> probably a bit cranky sometimes and might swear every now and then and, you know, might doesn't mind having a beer or two, but, um, like, I'm no different to anybody else, but I do believe in God, the Creator, and I do, do believe in Christ, you know, that he died for our sins on the cross and you know it's a long story I could go into it for hours but um, you know I think um, what happened with us was when 
you know, I always thought I was a Christian. I always believed in God. But I didn't really know what Christianity actually meant. And, um, you know, and I was up and down. And when we had success, you know, you're living in the world and you're having fun and you're doing things. And um, <clears throat> when it was a real reality check when we moved back here and I'd gone from being kind of, you know, a somebody to a nobody, I guess. And um, when we started at the bottom of the totem pole and... Uh, it was probably pretty hard to to stomach a bit was <clears throat> was um you know that that deal when you know you're a bit of a goal setter or a high achiever and and you know you you're in, you're at a place you want you you want to get to a place but you're you're well and truly below that place and you can't really find a way to get to that place where you want to be anyway um you know, and I remember, you know, when you talk about Christians and Bible bashers and all that kind of stuff, and I remember, you know, I grew up pretty rough and tough, and I remember the old fellow I used to work for, Jimmy, he said to me one day, we're at a cattle sale, and he, he pointed out a bloke down the laneway, and he said, see that fellow down there, Rob? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, he's a racabite. And I said, what's a racabite? And he said, mate, he doesn't drink, smoke, or swear. He said, he's, you know, he said don't trust him. <laughs> and, and so I always grew up thinking that you know you had to drink, smoke, swear, fight, you know, to be a, to be a man. And uh, anyway, when uh, we went to church a couple of times when I was in America, and and um, I couldn't really get get into the swing of things, and was just hovering around. I think Mum prayed for us our whole lives, our, all us kids in our family. And one day, I really was probably struggling when we were at Gundawindi because. You know, I had this big deal. We, we were going really well in the States and, and then I had this deal presented to me by my father-in-law to move back here and we so we left everything, you know, left our lives over there and came back and then he got killed in a plane crash and and then um, I was working for Susan there at Gundawindi and, you know, and then she passed away and there was a lot of stuff going on there and... And, um, you know, I wasn't riding the horses I wanted to be riding and wasn't hadn't achieved the things that I wanted to achieve. And, and you know, it got started to really get to a low, I guess. And, um, yeah, one day there I just... I remember I was doing, having a really hard day and I was working horses and I just pulled up. And I remember Mum said to me when I was a kid, she said, you know, if you ever get to a bad spot where you don't know what to do, just call on the Lord, you know, and... And I did that, and I didn't really know what it was like. Um, I didn't know what it, I didn't know what it was like to be a Christian until this moment. And I asked the Lord for help, and I like with a true and sincere heart. And I I physically felt I had this supernatural experience in it just instantly, and my life just changed at that moment. It was unbelievable, and and. You know, and I still, you know, I'm still, I still struggle with the old self, but I've tried to change as much as I can. And, and while I haven't actually tried to change, my life has just changed. Like I have changed as a person and you know, I've grown up a lot. And um, I think that, you know, oh, I know what it's like. Like I got to where, <clears throat> you know, I, I got into the, into the word a bit more, like a lot more and understand a lot more things. Like reading the Bible before was like reading Chinese, you know, I just couldn't do it, but something supernatural happened at that moment and something that I could never ever forget um you know uh just grace and mercy and and that that feeling of being forgiven 
and that forgiveness and what it does to you. And, and mind you, I'm still far from being perfect and obviously I'm a long ways away from it. But I do know that, that um, you know, if I was to get hit by a truck tomorrow, I know I'm going to have to answer for a lot of things, but I do know I'm going to end up in the right place. But there's just one, you know, a few certain things, criteria that you have to meet to get there, you know. So, I don't know. Um, I know the things that changed, you know, like before that, you know, we were in a really bad place. Like things weren't opening, doors were closing everywhere all around us and it, and I was fighting it, you know, really strongly. And, um, you know, I I got to where I was a bit like that cult, you know, the collar rope on and I was just kicking and kicking and kicking, trying to fight my way out of this bind that I was in and the more I tried to fight the tighter that collar rope was getting you know and and I just threw my hands in the air and you know asked the Lord for forgiveness and and just let him I just said look you know that look obviously we're here for a reason and I'm just going to let this be your will like whatever happens happens and so we started going to church you know these all these other little you know wonderful experiences happen and then mind you I don't get to church enough anymore but we get very busy but but then, so what happened then was um, all of a sudden I get a phone call. I ended up with a with a really good job to go break a heap of horses in. And from there it was bang, doors started to open. We ended up with the place at, at Coobar at Tamworth, you know. We ended up with some good horses. I ended up with, you know, congressmen. And we ended up um, managing to get the finance to, to buy the place where we are now, you know. And just supernatural things so just doors started to open and open and open the more we started pushing to the lord the more he just paved the way for us and made everything easy and um you know i'm just very thankful for that for where we are and and um you know i just yeah it's just so it's a hard question i don't like to ramble on about it or preach to everyone about it i like there's plenty of scripture in there that can back all this up but um yeah there's definitely something in it and something that I can't really turn away from now, you know. Yep. No. Mm. What's What's something you know now that you wish you'd known sort of ten, twenty years ago, whether it be horse related or not? Oh, where do I start? Like, <laughs> man, there's just so <laughs> much. Something that would have really helped. Just being aware. I think something that that you get with age is just being aware, more more aware of what influences you're having and you know, over your animals and, um, you know, just slowing it all down, break, dissecting everything. Now, I think that's what I've done in the last few years is now that I'm more relaxed, I've really dissected everything, you know, when I'm riding and training horses. I don't seem to have any bad days, you know. You know, if you if you do have a little bit of a blue with one, it's a few seconds and, and she's all over. The horse knows why, you know, no, he, they can figure out what it is that you're trying to, trying to achieve. So, yeah, just dissecting everything and breaking it down, I think. If I'd have known that back when I was in the States, you know, I might have had a fair bit more success then, too, yeah. you know. Have you found over the years that the different type of horses that you've ridden, like some would have been hard to teach and train mm. and there were some that were just push button and you've... Do you, do, you, do you think you've taken a little bit from everything and learnt a lot from some of the hardest horses to train or do you think just the good horses is what's taught you... Yeah, I think um, tough horses make you tough. I know, like, for a while there, I was getting a lot of tough horses, and people would get one that was tough, and they'd go, oh, we'll send it to Rob because he gets along with them, you know, like stallions and, mm. you know, and, and 
you know, people, I think when you, if you understand a horse and, and, you know, you understand where they're, their thought process not saying that I do but I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of it um, sometimes you can put a fair bit of pressure on a horse to get them to change whether the, and, and, and sometimes you can change a real shitty horse too just you know if you if your timing's really good if you can present a situation to a horse that where it's him doing it to himself and say he's he's got a habit or or, or a, a, there's a trained response somewhere like say rearing up or throwing himself on the ground you know, whatever it is that makes him want to do that, he thinks that's the right answer. He's not doing it because it's wrong. He thinks that when you apply that pressure, that's the right answer to to um to him. So, so what you've got to do is you've got to show him that that's the wrong answer if that's undesirable. You know, if if it's not what you want, you've got to show him it's wrong. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to have more influence over him than the original, the original pressure that made him find it in the first place. Okay. So yep. you, you, if you get what I'm saying, yeah, yeah. So and some people don't understand that, and they go, "Oh, geez, he's a bit hard. He was a bit hard on that horse." But yeah. I'm just trying to change because that horse was looking for release over there. I want him to look for release over here. Yeah. yeah. So I've got to t- make the ba- make over there the bad place. Make it. That's clearly. Not yeah, the clearly, right place to go. absolutely, yeah. absolute. Make it absolute, and that's what I found is that training a horse is absolute. There's no gray area. And, and a horse doesn't know what's right or what's wrong. He doesn't do things to annoy you. Usually when he does something wrong, he thinks it's right. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the right answer. And what you've got to do is you've got to make bad things undesirable to him and good things desirable. So you just got to make the right thing easy and the wrong thing. I'd go back to that Ray Hunt style and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Rob, that's been a really great interview. Thank you very much for sitting down with us and inviting us to your place here at Tamworth or Tunga. Uh, we wish you the best of luck for the next, the next couple of weeks at the Nutrien Classic Horse Sale. Be sure to check him out there, guys. And, um, yeah, thanks for everything. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, guys, that's the interview done with Rob Leach. We sure hope you enjoyed listening to that podcast or that interview might say I certainly did and Kylie and I definitely got a lot out of it my little attention grabbers for today's episode was number one was that same old thing that hard work gets you places I loved hearing that story about Rob having to be on the rake for two weeks before at his first job before they gave him a little bit of leeway I just feel like that's very relevant in everyone's sort of situation or any job opportunity that you know, you don't always get to the top straight away. They might be testing you out and there's a bit of grind involved. I just thought that was, yeah, a really good story. My second attention grabber for today's interview was I loved hearing about Rob's territory experience. I do really enjoy hearing stories from the north and certainly his time up there was, you know, full of challenges and everything and but it turned out to be a great experience and shaped him into the bloke he is today, which is, you know, really cool. I thought it was just a Really good to hear those kind of stories. My third attention grabber for today and something that probably really stood out to me was listening to the challenges that Rob and Lee faced when they returned home from the States. Obviously, they came home thinking that things were going to be in place and and obviously that didn't quite turn out for them. And yeah, it was quite a shock to them. But through persistence and hard work and a lot of faith, things have turned into the right direction and they've you know, now got their great place and an awesome business and things are really looking up for them. So I just thought that really stood out to me and 
and uh, should definitely get a big mention. Well, guys, that's going to about do it for this week's episode of the 90 or Nothing podcast show. We sure hope you have enjoyed this episode. We're so stoked to be back and can't wait to bring you more episodes. Big thank you and shout out to our major sponsors, Camp Draft Training Online and Cinch Australia. Make sure you jump on their website, www.mavericksholesale.com.au and get all your cinch attire to make sure you're looking your best in the show, Ben, and at work. Also, if you want to hear a bit more about Hayeswood Congressman's story, that's Rob's cult, jump on Select Size and have a look at his page. Maybe he might be the next horse you breed to. Be sure to jump on our Facebook and Instagram pages, guys. Be sure to share around the posts and comment. Let us know what your goals are this year. What horse events are you going to? What's coming up? We'd love to hear from you. All right, till next week, guys. We'll catch you then.